We're in Genesis chapter 1, and uh, we'll be starting with verse 6 this morning, which means we got through one day of creation last week, which I feel like should be a record for me, given the density of meaning in these verses. So, I don't know. Those of you who have not been in years and years of Sunday school with me, you know, you don't know how bad it can be around here when I'm up here. But, uh, you know, I think, I don't know, I am floored that we got as far as we did. It's in depth. Okay, I like that. It's in depth. It's in depth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on to that. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's have someone uh, read uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. All right. I like the old translations that call it a firmament. I, I like firmament. I like that word. I don't know what it is. Uh, there's just something about it. Probably just the ringing of the old text, you know, that we all remember, you know, because almost all of our first exposures, at least those of us who are older, to Genesis 1 was probably the King James Bible, and that's just what sings out, you know. I honestly, you know, I've got a lot of quibbles with the translation and the Greek text they chose and all that sort of thing, but honestly, they did the best they could with what they have. They were amazing godly scholars in that generation who produced that translation. And it was just a great time for vocabulary. So firmament, I like firmament. Uh, ESV has expanse. We're going to just say that's the same thing for right now. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so it's day two now. And uh, God separates the water that covers the world from the water that's in the space around the world. It was just you know, a land mass which was formless and void, sort of shapeless because it's underwater and it's all just one thing. And it was covered with water, and so you couldn't even see it. And uh, you have to sort of remember in Genesis 1 that the viewpoint isn't always God's viewpoint. In fact, it's rarely God's viewpoint. From this point on, the sort of narrator is speaking from what he sees from somebody on the surface of the land. And so, you know, at first it's just there's light and there's darkness and that's all he can see. Well, our, you know, supposed narrator, our virtual eye in the sky there, or eye on the land really, you know, he's covered with water. So that's all he's going to see too. And there hasn't been anything but light and darkness in day one. However, now something changes. Uh, there's water that covers the world and... There's water that is sort of around the globe, and it is separated. And yes, that means I'm not a flat earther, and I'm not getting into that here this morning. But if you really want to get into it, we'll talk. Um, <laughs> so, um, Job uh, 37, 18. Can someone just flip there real quick and read it? Job 37, 18. Eighteen, yes. Can you join him in spreading out the skies, stars and the Yeah. Job thirty seven eighteen describes the sky as being a cast molten mirror, 
basically. And remember, the mirrors in ancient times, which is pretty much all of the times of the Bible, mirrors are polished bronze. That's the best you can do. I mean, I, well, you could polish gold and silver and get better results, but the average person couldn't afford that. Um, but polished bronze is the closest thing to a mirror you're ever going to get there. You know, there's no glass. There's nothing like what we have now. Um, or it's rare, let's say. There's cultures that may have developed it, but we'll talk later. Anyway, uh, but that's how Job 37 sees the sky. It's a cast molten mirror. It's this hard, shiny object around the world. It's like, until there was atmosphere, atmosphere being the space in between, the air, essentially, that surrounds the world, light would have been murky. If, you know, especially if it's passing through the water that covers everything. Or if you could see, if you were sort of seeing above the water that covers everything and you saw the light, light would have just been distant and hard. Have you seen pictures from the moon or space? The ones where they've dialed it down to the point where you can actually see stars. Because again, usually shots from space are just overcome by the light that reflects from the closest <laughs> thing you're looking at the Earth or the moon, and so you just don't see anything in the sky. That's why they're always just pitch black. Um, but if you, the ones that sort of dial them in or, or mix them up a little bit so that you can actually see the stars and the exposure of the light that comes through, they're hard little points of light. Now, what is it about, what's the difference between that and the way we see stars here on the Earth? What do stars do? Twinkle. Thank you. You had the exact verb I was looking for. Yes, they twinkle. Why do they twinkle? Because of the air. Yeah. So the atmosphere sort of diffuses the light a little bit. And I don't know. I kind of feel like Job is saying that, you know, when, when this happened, all of a sudden, you could see them like you were seeing them through a mirror. You know, they were clearer, but not perfectly clear, much like a cast molten mirror. Um, there's only a couple more things I'm going to say really about day two. Uh, his making here is not separate from him speaking. So he, it says he made the firmament or he made the expanse. But you'll notice again, he didn't make it out of anything. He just said, let it be. And it was. So things are still just in that stage where they're just leaping into reality just because he says so. What's the other interesting thing about this that differs from the first day, perhaps? This was a weird day, day two. Proverbs 8.28 says, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, and he sang the sea of slumber. And what was the last bit? I'm sorry. He sang the sea of slumber so that the waters would not he did, and that's, that's what this is doing, isn't it? He's making boundaries. Okay, okay, yeah, he's making, yeah, he's making boundaries. And again, he's, so he's distinguishing, he's separating. So much of the work of creation is distinguishing and separating things. Um, the other thing I noticed about this day is that there's no statement. Have I got a half hand there? Yeah, oh, you got it, thank you, yes. Yeah, he didn't call this good. This, nothing happens on this day is good. Or at least he doesn't declare it that way. I assume it is good, but he doesn't say it is. Why not? Well, he's not making it. Maybe he's just sitting separate. 
It says he made the expanse. He made the firmament. It's like making darkness. He separated light to make darkness, you know? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean to quibble. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean That's true, yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know, there's other things he does that, uh, well, now you, you, you might have a point there. You know, you may have a point, because there isn't any real specific creation work as far as making new things go. But still, it's a good thing for him to separate these. He's getting it all ready for the ultimate creation in day six, you know, coming up soon. And... Uh, I think the main reason that he doesn't say anything as good is because he's not done with this part yet. You know, light and darkness being created and distinguished, that's a single solitary thing that's done when it's done. But this work isn't quite done yet. There's more to come later on in the creation story. So maybe that wasn't a fair question because we didn't get there yet, possibly. Oh, well, I think this is the only day that nothing like that happened. Uh, all right, so uh, would somebody care to read verses 9 through 13? Before that, I couldn't help but notice in Job, and why I haven't noticed this before, that he balances the clouds. He balances the clouds? He balances the clouds. Yeah. I like that, that analogy. The language of Job. I mean, Job adds so much to our understanding of God's I don't know, it's a mixture of engineering and artistry. I mean, I don't know, Job has God as this very rich, creative personality. You know, this is telling a very, he did this, he did this, he did this story. Job just has God in his glory, you know, dancing through the space he just created and you know, I'm going to make this happen, I'm going to fix that, I'm going to arrange these things so, you know, to the background of a choir of angels singing about how great he is. <laughs> you know, yeah, Job is, a, Job is a great look at this stuff, and I wish I had time to sit and just go through Job alongside this, but Genesis is good, I want to get through it at some point. Um... Yes, verses 9 through 13, please. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which their seed is their seed. So this is the wrap-up for the separation work of the waters from day two. He wasn't done yet in day two. With day two, I'm sorry, with day three, he finishes that. He says, okay, all these waters that are under the heavens, the waters under the atmosphere, in other words, the ocean, let's get all that gathered together in one place. Basically, you, know, you can see him just sort of pulling it around the planet you know, allowing the land to rise and sort of protrude. 
And basically, this is the formation of a continent. I'm guessing it looks nothing like our modern continents. If I had to guess, I would say this is just completely unrecognizable. You know, maybe this is what uh, a lot of people have called Pangaea, the first big single continent that the rest of them broke off from. Maybe, I don't know, uh, the flood was immensely powerful and I believe that it did amazing powerful things that completely changed the landscape almost to the point of unrecognizability from how it was before. So I don't want to lean too much into this being our modern idea of Pangaea, you know, of, a, of the single first continent that they all broke off from. But I think that's the idea, though, that there is just one big land here. So uh, at the same time, the first signs of organic life appear. You know, it's vegetation, essentially. Uh, he says, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. So uh, it's plants and it's fruit trees, and they are specific subgroups of that type. Um, you know, I want to make this point as we talk about the different, whenever it talks about the different kinds of life that come forth, the Bible is not trying to be scientific about its classifications. Okay, Moses didn't know about kingdom order, kingdom phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. He didn't know about that, okay? You know, he, he didn't divide the world up the way we do today. I, I like our system today, but that's not how he did it. And the point is not to figure out his scientific principles by which Moses saw these things. The point is simply to say, there's different kinds, and they do different things. And that's all the point is. Right. Yeah, that was Moses' purpose, you mean, in writing this? Right. Exactly, right. This isn't a science textbook. However, it can be trusted as to all its facts. That's an important thing to say. Some people just really want to just read into every little detail and, you know, tease out the, look, 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 I found evidence for X. And it's like, well, maybe you did. You know, I don't know. I think the answer to that question is going to come when, you know, you're in heaven and Moses is there and, you know, you guys can both go talk to Jesus, and Jesus is going to be like, well, that's, yeah, when I inspired Moses to write that way, I did or didn't mean that, <laughs> you know. But in the end, is that going to matter? Not maybe particularly. I don't know. I think the Bible really is about the supremacy of Christ and not about some individual scientific facts, honestly. I just think the facts can be trusted. <sighs> so... The first organic life has distinctions just built into it, just like everything else in creation does. You have light versus darkness. You have one day distinct from another day. You've got water and sky. You've got water and earth. And now you have species that are distinct from each other. And again, let's not get hung up on the actual meaning of species here. It is simply to say that there isn't any idea that these species are going to radically change. when. These species, you know, when they produce seeds and those seeds fall to the earth and those, and from the earth, new life forms, it'll be the same kind of thing that it came from, you know. An oak tree is going to drop acorns and those acorns are going to grow up. Well, they're not, they're going to just turn into moss or lilies. They're going to turn into oak trees. <laughs> what? 
alligators, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, okay, anyway, yeah, we'll get there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so radical species change isn't really part of God's plan before the fall, I think. He didn't, he didn't pack that into the design. He's like, no, I'm making all the different types that are going to be. I've, I've made them. I made them to be in a certain balance in this world that I'm creating. You know, God's kingdom is going to have all of this stuff in it. Right now, we're just talking about plant life. But, you know, we're going to have trees, and we're going to have moss, and we're going to have cattails, and we're going to have Venus flytraps. Well, I don't know about Venus flytraps because they ate meat. But I don't know. Anyway, but <laughs> hard to say. But... Uh, I don't know. You know, I really would like to know if God actually designed corpse flowers, durians, the really weird smelling things, you know. I don't know. Those are, those are, you're just sort of like, is that, is that something that happened after the fall, or is that just God saying, oh, this is weird. I'm going to do this. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What? I got these spare parts. Okay, yeah, but just to be clear, we're not saying he made anything out of parts, but yes, yes, okay, all right, all right, but yeah, yeah, but maybe spare ideas, you know, it's just like, you know, I always wanted to, I'm just going to do this, <laughs> you know, I can't wait till anybody see this, they're going to be like, what is that? <laughs> and Adam is like, I'm struggling to name it. Anyway, <laughs> never mind. Um, uh, so, now, he's got a place for his ultimate creation to live. He made land. There's dry land, it's in a nice place, and it's got plants. They're going to produce things like fruit trees. He's got everything in place already, practically, almost, to do what he needs to do for, you know, the, the, the up-and-coming surprise in this story, which isn't a surprise to us. And, uh, I don't know, seeing that there's a place for his creation to live, he says, that's good. And then he separately says, and plant life, that's good. Making up for not saying good yesterday by saying good twice today. That's kind of neat, you know? All right. We're flying through this. Day four. Uh, let's see here. That's verses 14 through 19. Anybody? Lights are created to separate day from night. He already separated day from night, but now he's creating something to continue to do that for him. And that is an indication of how he is going to operate forever and ever. He creates agents to do for him what he personally did a couple of days ago. He works through means. He creates Things, and then he has those things do it for him. 
this is a God who sometimes, you know, he speaks in scripture, but then you go to another scripture where it's talking about the same moment and you find out it was an angel speaking. And you say, is the angel God? And the Bible kind of smacks you around a little bit and says, no, silly. Don't just, don't read too much into it. Just recognize that the angel speaks with the voice of God. The angel, you know, God sent the angel and the angel speaking is like God speaking. God can delegate authority. It's, it, it's, not, it's not that hard. Now, and a lot of you are looking at me like, why are you making a point of this? This is obvious. It should be. But, you know, there are some passages in the Bible where you kind of, you know, push the boundaries a little bit and you say, but it says this. And you have to recognize that it is the entire Bible that informs us about the meaning of passages. That's why you got to keep studying the whole thing. That's why you got to keep on taking the word in altogether, because you know understanding the details means that you got to have the big picture, and to have the big picture, you got to get through the whole thing, and you got to keep on doing that. And there's so many layers of depth here that, yeah, to really understand it, this is why a lifetime isn't enough. You know, the word of God, the actual word of God, is a person, not a book. You know, and we're never going to completely know Jesus the way we are known because he is infinite and we are finite. And the Bible is, you know, very similar in that. There, you know, you're going to be reading this thing, hopefully, God willing, all of you for the next 40, 50, 60 years. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're, at the end of that, you're still going to be every once in a while waking up and going, how come I never saw this before? because God is just, I mean, the Bible overflows with meaning. You know, he put himself into this thing. It's astounding. So, Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord thou art in our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains are brought forth, wherever thou art born, the earth you see, thou art God. Yeah. Also written by Moses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ah, so, not everything that God does in scripture is done directly by him. So, he has created the lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars at this point, and they're going to rule on his behalf to separate day from night and light from darkness going forward. And that's okay. Recognize that this is how authority works in the kingdom of God. He delegates it. He authorizes other people to act on his behalf. It is a federal pyramid, if you will. You know, don't want to say bureaucracy because God, I don't think, makes the bureaucracy in any of the negative connotations of the word. But you know, God works through people. I mean, God the Father, His will rules everything that happens in the universe. But who carries out that will? God the Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, how does he work his will in this world right now? In a variety of ways, but who are the primary agents of the kingdom of God right here and right now? Yes, we are surrounded by them, you and me and all of us. God has delegated authority to us. He told the apostles, I've given you all authority. Yeah, we're his agents, exactly. Yeah, and if you want to call it, you know, if you want to be all CS, you know, NCIS and 
have us be secret agents. I think there's a lot to that, honestly, because seriously, you know, we're, we're in enemy territory here. I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, the kingdom of this world does, has not yet been publicly and completely ceded to God and his Christ, as Revelation puts it. Uh, so, God's kingdom has delegated authority in it. And that's why you can't just have a relationship with God, and that's all there is in your life spiritually. You must have a good relationship with God to be a good citizen of his kingdom. You must be submitted to elders. You must be submitted to the authorities that he has placed over you. There are civil authorities. There are church authorities. There is the authority in a household. There is a man, and under him is his wife, and under her is the children. And thankfully, that doesn't go on forever because the children break off and form their own self, basically, with a direct connection to the civil authorities, the church, and God. And all of these things, that's how, that's how authority works. And when you get out of that system and when you say, well, you know, you know a, a common cry during the Revolutionary War, and I'm one of those people who think that the Revolutionary War was God's will, but it still had sin in its root. All right, good. I'm glad you know. All right, I got it. Yay from somebody. All right. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, Britain was being terrible to us, but, you know, that doesn't change what God's law is, right? And, you know, there was a common cry back then. No king. Anybody know it? No king but King Jesus. That's what they used to say in the colonies. No king but King Jesus. And certainly not King George. <laughs> There's no King George in scripture. <sighs> and, uh, yeah, that's not, that's not actually... That, that's not actually a godly thing to say. Did God use it? Absolutely, because he works through all these things. <sighs> okay, don't want to get hung up on that too terribly long. We've got a fair way to go yet. Uh, the lights also separate time. They separate days from nights. They separate out seasons. They separate out years. Time and its distinctions are created by God. They're not just thoughts imposed by man. You know, the intelligent people in history didn't go, you know, it would be a good thing if we kept track of this, that, you know, this, you know, the sun has set and risen this many times since so-and-so. It would be good if we kept track of this thing. God is, you know, I'm sure some people thought that, but God is like, yeah, I'm way ahead of you on that. I've been keeping track this whole time. I put those things in place so you could figure this out, so you could have these bright little ideas on your own. You could almost see him patting them on the head. That's adorable. <coughs> sure, make up your calendar. That's cute. Um, anyway, and I, they're not just thoughts imposed by man on creation. They were created by God, these distinctions. And when it says that, uh, let's see here, where does it say that? Uh, oh, let them be for signs and for seasons, it says. And uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of ink has been uh, spilled about what signs mean. What are these signs? They're, they're signs of time. That, that's, what, that's what the word means in Hebrew. They're signs of time. It's not signs as in signs in the heavens directly. However, 
you know, the signs are seasons, days, and years, but there's no harm in recognizing that there are astronomical signs in an apocalyptic sense. Name some times in scripture when God used, uh, let's say, astronomical surprises in the story of the kingdom of God. His birth, yeah. His birth is the best moment, yeah. A star appears and guides people to where he is. By the way, I don't know how you think that's going to work astronomically. You know, if you've ever considered what it would take to actually guide people to a certain point on the earth to tell them not just go this way, but go this way, go this way. You're getting warmer, you're getting warmer. You're right here, Doc. How do you do that? <laughs> the star moved. <laughs> anyway. Um, yes, Hezekiah, the sun actually, you know, the shadow moves the wrong direction for a while. You've got bigger things than that. I mean, there's a general who steps out onto the field, and, you know, when the battle could be finished, if they just had a little bit more light, he stops the sun and the moon. Joshua. You know, he called on the sun to stay in one place and the moon to stay in another place, and God's like, yeah, let's do this. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the future, things like that are going to happen as well. Um, a third of the stars in the heaven are described as having been removed at some point in Revelation. Uh, the lights of the world are going to appear like blood or sackcloth. Somebody call out? Moses. 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 I don't remember. I'm probably messing it up. <laughs> I, 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 I curse something happened. Oh, right. Darkness. The plagues of Egypt. Yes. Oh, that's a perfect one. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, are there astronomical signs? Yes. That's not precisely what this verse is talking about, but there's no reason not to just bring that in and say, you know, God's like, and while I have set these signs in place for, you know, just nice little calendar and clock keeping purposes. You know, I also reserve the right to mess with them to get a point across. Right, right. God's ultimately like, yeah, these are not, these are not forces of nature that you sacrifice to, and these are not the laws of nature that you worship in some other way, scientist. These are all mine. Um, someone read... Uh, let's have two people go. One, Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. And one, to Revelation 12, verse 4. Whoever has Revelation 7, 1, I'd like you to read it. So one is going to 7, 1, and one is going to 12, 4. All right, so uh, four corners of the earth, that, that's kind of interesting, right? <laughs> you just said there wasn't a flat earth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, you also have to remember that, you know, in uh, Greek and Hebrew, earth and land are largely interchangeable, so we could be talking about a continent there. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I'm willing to accept a little bit of that as poetic, but the fact is, there are angels that are in control of the wind 
and they are called upon to hold it back. Uh, who has Revelation 12, 4? Yes. And uh, that's clearly talking about Satan as the dragon, and he sweeps a third of the stars of heaven away with his tail. And uh, we recognize, as we put all of this information together, that you know those are angels. Angels are in some way connected with the stars. And is that entirely, is that 100% a an allegorical picture. There are some allegorical elements in that story because the woman, I believe, is clothed with the sun and the moon and, and so forth earlier in the chapter, and that appears to be, I'm guessing, Israel. But uh, and we're not doing Revelation right now. We're not going to do Revelation right now. Uh, but, uh, sorry, you know, call me in a few years. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I'm okay with the idea that uh, the forces of nature they are things that arise out of how God made the universe. They are scientific principles. But don't think that that's all they are. Because God can embody and actuate principles of this kingdom he made in any way he wants. And I think he's chosen to use angels to do it. I think there are angels in control of the winds. I think there are angels as stars I mean, C.S. Lewis had a famous uh, little moment at the end of Voyage of the Dawn Treader, if any of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia, in which uh, you know, the, uh, the children are very surprised. They're taking a voyage around the world of Narnia, and, uh, so to speak, and uh, they, they get to a point, and they actually meet a star, and, uh, and uh, they're like, wow, you know, stars are people. And, and uh, Caspian looks at the children from England and says, well, is that weird? And they say, well, in our world, stars are basically falls of, you know, you know, balls of incandescent gas. And the star says to them, I believe, that uh, you know, even in your world, that's not all stars are. <laughs> you know, there's more to the world than we can see. Never forget that. There are spiritual forces. I think the stars are angels, frankly, as well as beings you know, giant furnaces of tremendous power blowing out, you know, hydrogen and helium and all of those things. So, I don't know. This universe we live in, you think it's a natural, materialistic universe? It's not. It's supernatural in its bones. God's power runs throughout it. You know, that's part of why, again, he can say, to the winds and the water. Stop! And they do. Uh, so, I don't know. Never forget that. Never lose the, your sight of that as you're reading the Bible, as you're living your life right now. Because someday, you know, do you wonder why people are so dismayed in Revelation and all the terrible things going on? Because they never believed any of them could ever happen. Mm -hmm. The moon has turned to blood. A giant mountain has been thrown into the ocean, and it's poisoning everything, and we're calling it wormwood. How did these things happen? 
And you know, a lot of people try to connect the dots and say, There's this, this is this scientific thing, and this is this scientific thing, and this is connected to this thing that people could do. And you know, I've had people describe all of the potential poss possibilities of nuclear war and say, that's what the Trump, that's what the seal judgments are, that's what the bull judgments are. And it's like, for me, it's simple enough and easy enough and obvious enough to say, or they could just be, you know, God commanding the angels and the angels doing what they do because the world is both. It is scientific and it is entirely under the control of God and intelligent beings who work for him or at least can be coerced to do what he tells them to do. If you start thinking in these terms, a lot of things in the whole Bible start to change. You know, you start to understand moments like when Daniel is praying and somebody's like, yeah, I've been trying to get, you know, an angel comes to him and says, I've been trying to get through, but I've been held up. There's another angel in the way. The prince of Persia is up against me, and it took me weeks. What? What? The prince of Persia? Yes, Iran. <laughs> yeah, ancient, though. Not <laughs> We don't blame you guys for what that angel does now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, it's 1016. God saw that all of this was good, and I think we have to stop at the end of day four. <laughs> uh, all right, well, I don't know. I hope, any questions, first of all, or comments? Yes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't have any time to wait. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And but but how would this work if it were billions of years? Oh yeah, we've had all this vegetation, but it took a really long time to get in the atmosphere or light. Yeah, that wouldn't have worked, would it? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. People trying to make this connect with a materialistic, scientist, godless, frankly, worldview can't generally, and guess who bends? It's not science. It's not their idea of science. It's their idea of God's work. Let's pray and close. Heavenly Father, you are so very powerful, and your creation is amazing. And Lord, it doesn't take away from your glory. It adds to it that you made your kingdom not as something you always directly rule, but as a kingdom that you mediate through layers of authority, Lord, help us to recognize our place in these authority structures and to bow to them as appropriate, Lord, and to always, in the end, know that we have a direct connection to the top of the pyramid, to you, through your Son, who is our perfect high priest. We pray that you bless the rest of our time here this morning worshiping you. In Jesus' name.